This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 735 with Laura Cathcart Robbins. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 735. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Laura Cathcart Robbins is back on the show. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you have already had some magical moments with one of my favorite people, Miss Laura Cathcart Robbins. So Laura and I started talking like two years ago about March of 2023, when she was like, I have a book coming out. I got a book deal. Here's what it's going to be about. And then a year later, here's some potential titles. And then after that, here's some potential cover art. And I got to hear and see all these little steps along the way. And March of 2023 always seems so far away. And here we are. Laura's book has been born. And we've been talking about this interview because, of course, as soon as she told me she had a book, I was like, you're coming back on the show to talk about it. So finally, she's back on the show to talk about her book. And I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. If you're not familiar, Laura Cathcart Robbins is the host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, and the author of her new debut memoir, Stash. She's been active for many years as a speaker and school trustee and is credited for creating the Buckley School's nationally recognized Committee on Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice. Her recent articles in HuffPo and The Temper on the subjects of race, recovery, and divorce, and they've garnered her worldwide acclaim. She's a 2022 TEDx speaker and an LA Moth Story Slam winner. 
Currently, she sits on the advisory board of the San Diego Writers Festival and the Outliers HQ Podcast Festival. Laura is a longtime friend of the show and perhaps the most frequent guest of the show, which I love. She has shared her brilliance and her heart with us in so many ways over the last few years. And today she is sharing her story with us in a new way, talking about the release of her stunningly breathtaking memoir, Stash. I was lucky enough to receive an advanced copy of Laura's book, and I read it on my way to and from London last fall. And I found myself trying to contain my crying and cheering for my dear friend Laura on each leg of the flight. Her mommy heart broke my mommy heart in half as I read about her journey into deep addiction. And then my heart healed right alongside her as I saw her embrace recovery and say yes to herself and her boys over and over again as she shared her story. So listening to hear Laura share her desire for her high profile marriage to legitimize her worth, her path to crippling perfectionism and how it led her to a near fatal ambient addiction. How Stash addresses the intersection of addiction, race, gender, motherhood, and class. The misnomer that parents who are addicts choose drugs or alcohol over their children. And the significance of authoring this book as a black woman working through addiction and into recovery. Oh my goodness, friends, you are in for a treat. So listen to the interview and then go get the book. With all that said, please join me in welcoming my dear friend, Laura Cathcart Robbins, back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Laura, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh, it's so good to have you here, friend. I was like going to interrupt you because I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. And just having my back, but always, you know, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's, I've been so excited for this conversation. And also so many conversations. I'm like, oh, I get to talk to this person and get to know them better. But this is like, I'm just having coffee with a girlfriend. It's going to be deep, but deep coffee. Deep coffee. That's a good podcast name. That is a good podcast name. Okay, <laughs> noted. Noted. Yes. So this is your like, I don't know, third or fourth time on the show, maybe fourth. You might I think be it's fourth. Yeah. This might be a, a shameless mom record here. So tell us what is exciting in your life right now. This is a big week for you. This is a really big week for me because my debut memoir, Stashed My Life in Hiding, launched yesterday. And it is out in the world. They call it a book birthday. So that is really exciting. I am a first time author. So I am brand new to this process and I'm loving every minute of it. I'm just kind of going along for the ride and seeing like, oh, we do this and oh, we do that. And, you know, at the same time, our podcast, the only one in the room is still releasing our episodes. We released one yesterday and we will continue to do so. So that's my other job. But right now I am out in the world as a first time author. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. I had like the inside scoop on the book. Yes, you did. Like a couple years ago, maybe <laughs> like a while ago. Yeah. Um, and I remember getting like these little pieces, like we have a title and then we have a cover and, and then we're going to send you an advanced. Co- I remember waiting for the advanced copy being like, have you sent it yet? Have you, when are you sending it? Have you this week? (laughs) But then I got the book and I saved it for a couple of weeks because I was like, I want to be able to sit down and read it like Mm -hmm. in a good chunk of time. I didn't want this to be like 10 minutes of bedtime reading, which is all I can manage at 10 o'clock at night. Oh my goodness. Um, So I waited till I was going to London and then I read like half of the book on the way there and half of the book way back and on the way back. Well, and as I said to you already, but reading the whole thing, you know, we have known each other since in the last 
like what, four Four years years or so. Yeah. And so I have known you as this woman who speaks about sobriety and recovery as someone who is in recovery. And the book is about going through recovery. And I don't, I never knew that version of you. And I didn't know, I just knew bits and pieces from your amazing articles and prolific writing that has gone viral multiple times on the internet. I just knew bits and pieces of this life of yours. And to sit and read this book was like reading the diary of your really good friend and just feeling so much pain and then celebration. I mean, it was like this huge roller coaster of emotion to walk through your story with you as I was reading. And on my way back from London, as I read the second half, first of all, I was cheering for Laura and Scotty, like the whole time as your love story unfolded. But then I was just crying for my friend over and over. And my colleague who was sitting next to me on the plane and watching rom-coms, I think was like, what's happening over there? there? (laughs) There's a lot going on. It's a lot of tissue. There's some shaking, a little like almost convulsing. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so great, Sarah. I have been, so you were, you were one of five or six early readers chosen by me. There were others that were in the book world that were early readers. But when my agent and Simon and Schuster asked me who I wanted to be early readers so that we could start, have them start talking about it and have them really familiar with the book, you were like first on my list. And, but now people are starting to get copies. Their influencers are starting to get copies and that kind of thing. And people who know me, have a very similar response to what you just said. They know me as this. They don't know me as that. You know, they know me as the woman that I've been for the last almost 15 years. And they didn't know the woman who I was before I got sober and what that path looked like. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to have somebody to let you in. I'll just speak about you specifically in on that part of my life, because even while I was living that part of my life, everyone that knew me had no idea what was going on. Right. So it wasn't like if you had known me then, you would have seen behind the curtain, you know, which is why the subtitle is my life in hiding because I hid everything. But there is this very, you know, wonderful, generous outpouring of compassion for the person that I was then. And this love and respect for the person that I've become from these people who have, who know me, who've read it and including you. And I so appreciate that I'm taking it. Oh, well, oh my gosh. I'm so honored to made the list. <laughs> I want to, what's so interesting is that regardless of how people like what stage people have known you or whether or not people know you before reading the book, because obviously, you know, the majority of our listeners are not going to know, like have the inside <laughs> right. scoop on Laura Cathcart Robbins now or in the past, right. but there's so many pieces of your story that are relatable to, I think, every woman and every mom. Mm-hmm. And where you start the story, I mean, you start off with some things from your childhood that are relatable in different ways, but then you really talk about this path to crippling perfectionism that I think anyone socialized as a woman can relate to because it's like what the life that you're living in your head versus the show that you're putting on for everyone. Yes. And I don't think that that's unique to addicts. And I don't think that that is. I don't think that's exclusive to you, you, and I'm so grateful that you chose to share your story the way that you did so that like, I felt like, oh my gosh, I relate to so much of this, whether or not that led me to addiction or not, I can relate to one life in my head versus the other life I'm allowing others Mm -hmm. to see. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that path for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, first of all, having two little kids under the age of five and 
minor. One was born in 98, one was born in 99. They were both boys, which for me made a difference because Scotty has girls. They were nothing like my boys. <laughs> they were they were obedient and sweet and content and patient. And <laughs> my boys were just like, I used to pretend that my older one's name, middle name was no, no, wait, wait. Because every time we said his name, we're like, no, no, wait, wait. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't smell that. Don't eat that. So it was a very active life with these two kids. And I was in this high profile marriage that I really wanted to be in, not just because I had fallen in love with this man, but also because I thought it would kind of legitimize me Yeah. because I had dropped out of high school. I had never gone to college. I had spent a year like with this drug dealer smoking cocaine when I was in my teens. And I was so ashamed of all of that and any of that being found out. I lied about it. I mean, I didn't have to lie about the year of cocaine because no one's going to ask you that. (laughs) Did you ever smoke cocaine for a year with somebody? But college and high school, I lied about all the time because I presented one way and I wanted to live up to that presentation. And so I had entered this marriage as this kind of like the best version of myself that I could have created. And that's the version that I felt like he fell in love with, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so he fell in love with this version that I presented. She was a college graduate. She was obviously a high school graduate. Somewhere in there, I started a company, a a public relations company and done really well. So that's where I was when he and I met. And for whatever reason, I didn't think that was enough. You know, it wasn't enough for me to lose the other stuff, the other facades, the other lies that I was telling So I entered into this marriage with this as a lie, basically, that I desperately wanted to make the truth. And I figured that once I was in this marriage, the other stuff wouldn't matter. No one would care if I was a high school graduate. No one would care if I was a college. I had never gone to college and whatever else I was trying to conceal. And what I found out in it was that I was not prepared for the life that I had signed up for. Mm. And, and, you know, looking back on it now, it's funny because I see so many ways I could have done it differently. The first one would have been to be honest, like, this isn't me, this isn't me. And then he could have took it or leave it, left it, right? He could have said, I don't care. I love you this way anyway. Or he could have said, you know what? That's not for me. We're not a good fit because I thought you were all about this, this, and this too. But I didn't give him that choice. And I just kept, you know, kind of editing and adjusting myself to match I like to be clear about this because it's it, there was never any point in our marriage where he said, you need to be this, this, or this. I gleaned it from watching how he interacted with people around him and the people around us. Yeah. So like if we went to a dinner party and he admired this or this mm-hmm. about the wife or the woman in the relationship, then you know I would imitate that or I would try to, to do my hair like that or I would take up tennis or whatever it was mm-hmm. that he admired. Those aren't real examples, but, (laughs) you know, like that kind of thing. And if he was unimpressed with something, then I would eliminate that from my repertoire, you know, so I wouldn't do that anymore. I wouldn't, you know, guffaw when I laughed anymore because Mm -hmm. that offended him when she did it, like whatever it was, again, not real examples. But so I became this very carefully edited, strategically edited version of myself. And then I was also me sometimes. And that was really hard. It was hard to reconcile those two things. And I felt like I had to hide me from him and from everybody else. 
This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with EarnIn. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download EarnIn today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the EarnIn app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I think what's relatable in that, and I think any mom has had this experience. I mean, we had this, or I had this experience like the day after Vinny was born where you're like, oh, now I'm like a new thing. 
like, what am I supposed to be now? Like, what does a mom do in this situation? Or like when we got our, I remember before we bought the house that we live in now, and it was, we'd been married for a year. And I remember like imagining like, okay, so a person that owns that house, like you should have a table that looks like this, or you should have like, yes, yes. and then as you're getting things and you're like, okay, so like, what is a person that like, you're trying to like adapt these different identities that we take on over time. And like, to your point, reconcile them with like who you are. So like, you know, Sarah, who lived in a studio apartment very happily for many years is now like, what do I do with like fancy dishes? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you yeah. supposed to do? Or do you really need to have the fancy dishes? And then when should you use them? Like mm-hmm. all these weird things. So I think those things are all really relatable when that becomes at odds with who you are, like you're trying to check these boxes that are not aligned with who you really are, or at the expense of like your true self or trying to hide yourself in various ways, then that becomes such a massive internal struggle. And I think sometimes what happens is that we do that and we find ourselves at some point, sometimes maybe it's months in, sometimes it's years in like, oh my gosh, like this is not who I am. And now I'm going to conscientiously like unravel that, undo that, drop the charade, what have you. In your case, it kept going and it was this path to addiction that you would, I'm going to let you fill in the gaps, but like you had already had your stint with the cocaine boyfriend. Yes. And so it was like, in some ways, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it was a regression to that life in some ways, but also like the perfect buildup to that at the same time. Yeah. You know, in that stint that I had when I was actually 19, when I didn't have to do anything to stop, when I didn't have to go to 12-step meetings or see a therapist or any of that, I thought, okay, well, if anything else like this comes into my life, I'll be able to beat it because I'm not one of those people. Because that was like proof that you could do it. Exactly. And so the addiction to Ambien really blindsided me because one, I didn't, and I had drank socially all through my 20s and early 30s with little to no consequences. I mean, my consequences were like everybody else's, sometimes a hangover. Sometimes I was like the loudest one at the party, you know, but there were no DUIs. There was nothing that I was like, oh, I need to stop drinking ever in that time period. So it just didn't occur to me that this was something I was going to have to watch. And I had, you know, had two kids Mm -hmm. and it just like, I was a real adult, you know? So I just thought whatever it might've been, I passed that point where I would have had to be concerned. And And your doctors were also saying like, yes, I mean, that's like really confusing in there too, where your doctor's like, well, no, just take more of this or just try this, or here's a bigger prescription or like, right. So then again, you're like, well, but they're telling me that to do this. So yeah, yeah, it, it was very confusing, but also, you know, I wasn't being entirely honest with my doctor. (laughs) But it was like when a little kid tells you like part of the truth and then kind of holds their breath to see if you'll actually mm-hmm. give them the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I didn't just have ice cream. <laughs> even <laughs> This isn't really my second helping, even though it is, but it was, you know, whatever it is. I was giving my doctors partial truths, hopefully hoping that they would say, yes, you're fine. And they did. No one investigated further because I had this really flawless presentation Mm -hmm. that I had, that I worked on, you know, if I looked put together, I could pretty much convince people of anything. And I did. And to the point, and I have to say this as the co-chair of the parent association at my child's school, to the point that you were the chair or the president of the parent, the the parent association, like taking pills and drinking and then going and running meeting. And 
which you, I knew about four years ago when I first like met, cause that was part of your bio. Yeah. Once I started running these meetings, I was like, she, wait, she did what? Yes. And I just want to be a little bit clear about that. It was, so the progression of me with the Ambien addiction was Ambien by itself, you know, one per night as prescribed. And then, you know, a couple years later, you know, one and a half per night. And then a few years later, it was like, three per night. And then it was as much as I could take during the night because I kept waking up. My tolerance level was off the charts. And also I would go into withdrawal when I didn't have Ambien in my system. So this is like that Hemingway quote. It was gradually and then suddenly, right? And so that year that I write about, the 10 months that I write about in 2008, I was at the point where if I didn't have any Ambien in my system, I would go into a really debilitating withdrawal So I wasn't like getting high and going to parent association meetings. I was taking just enough so that I didn't didn't shake so that I could look people in the eye. I would have loved to have gotten high, but I would have got, because getting high for me was actually going to sleep. So I couldn't do that. Right. Right. (laughs) So that I did at night and I I kept it at night for a long time, but those are, I write about the months where I stopped being able to keep it at night, Mm -hmm. where it was starting to bleed into the day. Right. What I think is so important for people to recognize when we talk about addiction is, and the progression that you just shared is so significant. So thank you for that. Is that I think that sometimes we have this like mistaken, if you're not someone who's dealt with addiction yourself, we have this mistaken judgment that like, oh, so I guess she just randomly, not randomly, but just like decided overnight to start taking like six pills a night or at a time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And your point around this like slow progression over time that looks like many people's (laughs) progression with medication. I mean, I'm someone who takes medication to sleep. So like, I get it. Someone who takes medication for anxiety. So those things I can absolutely relate to. And so the slow progression over time where you're like, well, I like my body isn't responding to it in the same way. We're going to tweak it a little bit. And that's a really normal thing when you're looking at all sorts of different kinds of medication interventions. And then getting past this point of no return in terms of your body being physically addicted. Mm -hmm. It was never like mommy just really wants to get high. And I think that that's sometimes where the like judgment comes in that it's like, she just wanted to get high all the time. Mm -hmm. No, ever it. No, I mean, I might even say this in stash. I don't know if I do, but I did everything that I did in my mind so that I could show up for my family to be quote unquote, yeah, to be a better mom, which sounds ridiculous now, but in my mind, that was it. I never wanted to just go off somewhere and leave my kids and get high. I wanted to be able to show up for them and be generous and sweet and curious and energetic and mm-hmm. all everything I saw these moms looking like they were being, you yeah. know, all the moms, you know how that is. That was mom coffee clutches and like whatever, you know, you do after you drop off your kids, they all seemed really into it. <laughs> And I was like, okay, so I'm going to need something if I'm going to show up this way. And that's what I tried to do. Your book talks about the intersection and this shows up like over and over your story, your overall story, but also the stories within the overall story are so layered when it comes to the intersection of class, race, gender, motherhood, like all these layers. Can you talk a little bit about the, how perfectionism was potentially fueled by your upbringing and race as well? Because that's something that you dig into in the book. So my perfectionism when I was little, I don't even know that I call it that, but let's call it that for this conversation. But my desire to be 
kind of off the radar is what it felt like to me. Would you say like to blend in or? Well, specifically with my stepfather, it was more just like, I want it to be in such a way that it wouldn't, he wouldn't be irritated with me because when he was, then it fell back on my mom and the house was uncomfortable. And so to be like, quote unquote, good. To be good, but also just to be good specifically for the way he wanted me to be. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it means? Like, so that could mean loving jazz music with him one day and listening to it. Not that that was what might be considered good in other households, but for him, that yeah. would make him happy. So that's what I would do, even though I'm not a fan. So just kind of like everything that I can do so that there's no heat on me, that there's no attention on me specifically was what I did. And it was to blend in outside my house, right? So I would go and try to be like everybody else, whatever that looked like. If everybody was reading this or getting these types of grades, I wanted to do the same thing. So I wasn't the one who was called out for either not keeping up or not understanding something. I think this is another female thing. When people who identify as female, we don't really like to ask for help. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and I got I'm it. Bit, I got right? it. I'm fine. Yes. Yeah. Just a really quick side note, when I, my son has dyslexia and I went to a potential school that treats language, that deals with language-based learning disorders, we were visiting and it was like all boys, except for like two girls. And I'm like, where are the girls at the end of the tour? And they said, oh, girls just kind of, they just don't ask for help. We get them later. This is like middle school. Like we get them in high school when it's almost too late, but girls will like endure and suffer through and pretend Boys mm-hmm. will throw their hand up and be like, I don't get this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand any of this. So I felt like I connected to that when they told me that. And so that desire to be off the radar bled into my regular life. And I was the only black kid in my school when I was growing up. I went to the Cambridge Montessori School, which was a great experience for me, not being the only black kid, but just the school itself was really great. But I was the only black kid and I started to really feel probably around eight or nine, the weight of if I fail, then basically to these people, all black people have failed. If I didn't understand something that meant black people were dumb. Mm. If I took longer than my white peers did, that meant that Mm. we were slow. Like you wasn't feel like you had to be the representative. Yes. Yes. And so that I absolutely carried with me the fear when during this time period that I wrote about was that if I'm found out as a drug addict mom, then all the black people and all the black parents at the school are going down. All the black people that any of these white people know are going to be looked at differently because I was kind of the epitome, right? I was like the perfect, I was the safe one. I was the parent association president. I was the first one since 1974. And this is a school that had been around for a long time. So I was a rarity there. I existed in very white spaces and I did feel like the representative. And you did a really, really good job for like across your life, like for 40 years. Yes. And the weight of that is massive. I think so. I don't even know if I'm aware of it. Yeah. When I think about the weight of that and the relief that could come from escaping it momentarily Mm -hmm. through going to sleep. Yes. (laughs) Like that makes so much sense. Absolutely. It was, you know, I would chant in my head how many hours I had to get through the day, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 more hours, and then I can take an Ambien, six more hours, and then I can take an Ambien. 
And I was going through all these motions, but I would just, I do that in my workouts now. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> five more minutes and then you're done. Or it's almost, you know, halfway through, like I'm still coaching myself all the way through my workouts Yeah, because I want to give up. And I absolutely coach myself through the days because I wanted to give up. And I would just like, that was my reward. That's what I got at the end of the day. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I was recently on a plane and we were, we had just landed. And so, you know, when you're like sitting there, <laughs> you just land and you're like waiting for to deplane, sitting, sitting, waiting for the door to open. And I hear these two women talking like a row behind me and I can't see them at all. I can just hear them. And one of them says, well, yeah, it's just really sad. This whole situation, you know, she chose drugs over her kids. Mm. And this is before I got your book, but I've interviewed enough people <laughs> on the show who have struggled and managed, you know, struggled with addiction, managed addiction, or who are in recovery. Now I have a number of friends from interviewing so many people yes. in recovery who I always become good friends with, it seems like, which I'm so grateful for. We're just also, so cool. Well, exactly that. And <laughs> also now that I'm 47, it's fascinating to me how many close friends in my personal life who I've known for many, many years, if not decades, are in a position of recognizing that they have struggles with addiction. So this is like this theme in my life, it seems like over the last few years, like there's a lot of addiction and recovery kind of circling me. And so when I heard this two women talking, I thought, oh my gosh, like that's not well, no one does that. And I know I have good friends who are in recovery. I mean, you being one of them, but other like close friends who I've known for many years who are parents who, and like none of them have chosen a substance over their children. It's the grip of addiction. And we are so miseducated and misguided when it comes to that. And 
at the same time, I understand why someone would make that statement and how it looks that way, but that's not the truth. So can you talk a little bit about like that judgment? Because as soon as I heard of it, I thought of, I was like, Laura and I are going to talk about this someday. (laughs) So first of all, I, at the time that I was taking pills and putting my kids in danger because I was knocking myself out at night and anything could have happened, right? That is not a situation that any adult should put a child in, yeah, parent or not. I really felt like it was survival. I felt like mm-hmm. it was life or death. Like if I didn't take these pills and wash them down with vodka, oh, that was the other part of the progression was I needed to boost them because they stopped working on their own. Mm-hmm. I thought I would die. The, and your withdrawal symptoms had proven that like, yes. I mean, you had gotten very, very sick. You had had seizures from withdrawal. Yes. Like, yes. so that fear was very legitimate. It wasn't it just was like- very oh, legitimate. I, yeah. Yes. Not like, oh, I might get a headache or I might throw up. Like, right. Like, really but you know, serious. even without the seizures, just the ferocity of the withdrawal was so, it was like, when I say debilitating, I'm not being hyperbolic. It was mm-hmm. like, I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't leave my bedroom. I couldn't leave the shower and do anything that would cause me to interact with anyone. So it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like survival. And I was deeply ashamed every time I did that. Every time I was relieved when I did it because I would experience this moment of relief and then I would be deeply ashamed. But since I've been sober, I have guided other women through the 12-step program that I'm in, some of them moms some of them with little kids. And I have also judged them. You know, there have been like, I have not just a ringside seat, but I'm like in the passenger seat of the car they're driving sometimes. And we're like, Hey, you can get help there. You can get help there. You can get help there. Why are Mm -hmm. you passing up all these opportunities to get help? You're going to lose your kids, you know? And a couple of them did. And I was doing my best not to judge them because I understood what that felt like, but it's really frustrating. Yeah. It's really frustrating. It's, you know, in our literature in 12 step literature, they talk about the heartbreaker. That is the person who continues to indulge despite negative consequences. And no one knows why, at least let alone the person who's doing it. Like, yeah, I didn't know why either. Yeah. I wanted to put some kind of safeguards in my life. Like I wanted a time lock safe so that I couldn't get to my pills until a certain time. Never, never got that far, but I wanted one because I was powerless over this. And yet I have judgments that I do, you know, as much work as I can around so that I can be available and non-judgmental or at least not critical of these people, even though I might still harbor a judgment, but to not criticize them and to be a safe place for them, but it's hard. So I really understand both sides. And I understand why somebody who has no dealings with addiction, no experience with it would absolutely just look at it and say, well, that's a choice. You can't tell me that's not a choice. But the truth Mm -hmm. is that my vigilance around my sobriety is so that I can keep my choices. The moment I pick up a drink or a drug, I have no idea whether or not I'll be in charge anymore. I don't know if I'll have choices once I do that, like it was before. But right now, you know, almost 15 years sober, Laura, everything I do is a choice. It's my choice. And I take full responsibility for it. I will also take credit for it. (laughs) (laughs) As you should. As I should. But I will take responsibility for it when it doesn't go well. I don't ever want to go back to feeling like I have no choice, that feeling it was horrendous. I work really hard now 
to make sure that that's not my reality ever again. I think that's such a powerful perspective and such a like flipping of perspective, you know, that Bridie gives you the privilege of choice and yes. the honor of choice, which is, yes. oh my gosh, such a huge difference in getting to know a number of people in recovery. As I mentioned, I've learned so much about like the insidiousness of addiction as you've shared that it's like mm-hmm. when you're in it, it's so, so all consuming, but also the pervasiveness across friend groups and mom groups and workplaces and like everywhere. And I think that this is something that we don't talk about enough and we don't recognize enough. And when we're creating gathering spaces for people, whether it's social gathering or anything else, there's so many more things we could do to honor that people in any circle that are struggling with addiction or in recovery, and we can do better, like being there for each other. What do you want people listening to the show to know about addiction? And especially given kind of this high profile status that you had when you were in the depths of your addiction, I think that's such a glaring reminder that there's people around us who are managing this on a day in day out basis that we've never considered. Yes. That's a great question. I think the first thing to know is that addiction is no respecter of persons. It doesn't respect that you have a kid. It doesn't respect that you have a, you know, a high powered job that requires all your attention. It doesn't respect that you have a sick parent. Like it, none of those things matter to addiction. It comes in, it acts like it's going to help with all those situations. It acts like a friend here. You know, you sit down, I'll take care of this. You know, you won't have to worry about any of this. And then soon you don't have to worry about any of it because you don't have it, right? You don't have the job anymore. You don't have the relationship with your parent. You don't have the kids. You don't, if it gets that far. So the idea that anybody is protected, you know, whenever I read about um, one of the many, 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 I mean, I'm just, I can't even talk about it because it's a whole nother subject, but the killings in this country, mm, yeah, whether it by stabbing or U-Haul on sidewalk or shooting, I read or watch however I'm consuming it to see why it can't be me. Oh, I don't ever go to Walmart. So that can't be me. My kids never go there. So that can't be them. Like I want to suss out how I'm safe from this situation. We want to compartmentalize. Yes. And I think people do that with addiction. I think people say, I don't have these earmarks. I don't have it in my family. I've never had more than this. I've never craved this. I've never had, you know, whatever it is. So they think they're safe. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, you know, that most people probably are, but you just don't know. You just don't know. And and I was, mine was late onset, you know, I was in my late thirties, early forties when it started creeping up on me, I would have thought I was safe by then. Yeah, I would have thought, you know, well, I've got to be beyond the point where this could happen to me. The other thing that I wanted to say, and I don't know if you were going to address this later, but I'm just going to say it now is that there's a culture of sober curious people out there who are looking at maybe cutting down their drinking or not drinking at all for certain periods of time. Very, really excited about that, by the way. I think that's amazing that people are just looking at maybe I don't need to drink. Yeah. Maybe, you know, because the truth is, is you know, it's not good for you. <laughs> it's right, right. Poison. <laughs> and right. it does certain things and it, you know, it's a social lubricant and it makes people feel better, blah, blah, blah. But anyway. But I really applaud people who are looking at that. There's a genre of literature 
around that. It's called Quitlet, Q-U-I-T-L-I-T. And it is what I read when I first was getting sober. I found these books, Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. I'm trying to think who, but there was like, there were all these books about women specifically, but some men who had dealt with addiction and got gotten to the other side. And I was so excited to find these books. I'm a voracious reader. I love reading. <laughs> That's how I know how to be is through reading, you know, and those are my people, the people in these books, but I didn't see any books written by people of color and no books written by black people. I mean, that just because there weren't any books written by people of color, there weren't any books written by black people. And I did eventually find a couple that were written by black people. And this is going to go back to your question of the intersection of privilege, race and addiction. The books I found by black people had, you know, horrendous sexual trauma, prostitution, drug dens, like, and they're phenomenal stories. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I would read them over and over and over again, but they weren't mine. Yeah. You know, so finally here was a person of color, a black woman that talked about addiction, but it still wasn't my story. My story was being told by these white women over here, yeah. but I couldn't connect to them in the same way that I could to the black women. And I couldn't connect to the black women in the same way I could to the white women. So this book, when I was, you know, sending out the proposal into the world, you're supposed to have comparisons, comps, you know, it's in the vein of this. It's, you know, similar to this, this, and this. I had no comps still mm. almost 14 or 13 years later at that point, there were no books written by black women in the genre. So stash, if people buy it, really if white women buy it, because that's who drives books, that's the truth. It will be telling people we want more of these stories in this genre. It is important to us to see this type of story in the genre of Quitlet, because the whole story is not being told on that shelf in your bookstore that doesn't have any authors of color. So it looks like sobriety is only for white women. If you look at it that way, if you look at television, if you go to the movies, it is exactly the same. So I think that is really important. And that wasn't an answer to one of your questions, but I just wanted to say it because I, it is stunning to me that that's where we are in 2023. I'm so glad that you took that direction. And as we wrap up here, because that is so significant. And so the significance of you creating something where other people can see themselves, where other black women can see themselves is huge. Also the significance of people who are sober curious or people who are in recovery or people who want to support another black woman's work to go get this book. I think that there's these layers here that make your book so significant on top of the fact that it is absolutely stunning. I got to, you know, I had the privilege of reading it through the lens of being your great friend and like just championing you so much and being so excited about this coming out. But I also was like, okay, like I'm reading this as Laura's friend. And I'm also like reading this as like shameless mom Academy audience, <laughs> like yes. trying to really look at it through two different lenses. And I just kept thinking how relatable so many components of the story were. And I think that that piece is so important because I think that, and we've mentioned this in different ways, but I think that we think of this, we, if we have not struggled with addiction ourselves, we think that, well, a book about addiction isn't going to be relatable. Oh, holy cow. Like so many things in the book were so relatable because of the way you showed up as a mom and as a woman and as someone who was trying to fit in and find her place and figure out like, who am I in these different scenarios, which is all really relatable. And when you add on layers of identity, when it's race and it's class and it's, you know, and then status, which is a significant piece of the story, which was fascinating to me, like the status piece. 
Yes. It really, it creates for a phenomenal story, but it also creates for all these elements for people to really see themselves. So with all that, then tell us who should go buy the book. Who's the book for? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you're listening to this, you should be buying the book. Yes. Um, And then you should also be referring the book. And I'll tell you, if you screenshot the acknowledgements, find Sarah Dean's name and the acknowledgements in the back of the book. I was so excited. I literally, I was like, this is proof. I read every single word because I found myself in the acknowledgements. (laughs) But if you screenshot that and send it to me in a DM, then I will come to your book club. Like I will zoom into your book club, wherever you are, and we can talk about stash. So please buy the book. This book is, I think really the truth is that women will buy this book primarily, but I've been interviewed by a few men who have read it, who were also stunned by how much they connected. I think anyone dealing with a family member who has issues with either drinking or using too much or actual addiction or anybody who's struggling or kind of walking that line. I think people that are looking at the end of their marriages should buy this book because I grapple with that a lot. I think moms who are struggling to show up as their authentic selves or anyone that should show up as their authentic self can find themselves in this book. And, you know, a lot of the people that were hesitant to read it didn't want to read it because they thought it'd be a bummer because it's about addiction and it's not right. It's not a bummer of a book. No, it's like a gripping story and addiction is, you know, a big part of that, but it is a gripping story of like a woman's path. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, that's, I think that might be everybody. (laughs) I know. Totally. I want to just, again, highlight that people in your, I'm saying this to listeners, not to you, Laura, but to our audience that people in your life, you know, there are people in your life, whether you know about it or not, who are struggling with addiction. Like that's a fact. And if you can read this book and see what that can look like, like one version of what that looks like and how it can be so hidden, so invisible and really, and exist in this like pocket that you would never imagine. I think that that piece is really, really significant that like we are all, whether it's our story or the story of someone who we're sitting next to at work every day, or the story of a mom that we're seeing every day at pickup, like all that really, really matters. And I think that that makes the book a really important read for everyone. Oh my gosh. So Laura, when you write the next book, you have to come back. Oh yes. (laughs) I have to come to Seattle in person. Yes. Yes. When you come to Seattle, we'll have to, that will definitely happen before I let you go. Where can people get the book? Yes. So it's, you can get it everywhere. You buy books. You can find it on amazon.com. You can go to simonandschuster.com and type in stash my life in hiding. It'll come up and then you'll have a, an array of places where you can purchase it. I would also really encourage people to go to their local independent bookstores to yeah. purchase it. They need love right now. I'm guilty of buying books from Amazon because it's easy, but the truth is our bookstores are dying. So please go and support your local bookstore, even if you order online from them and don't actually go in, support your local bookstores. And then let me know what you think after you read it. I love to hear. You can also DM me on Instagram. It's at Laura Cathcart Robbins. Yes. So we'll put everything in the show notes that you just mentioned. I'll give a shout out to Finney Books, which is right here in my neighborhood. Third Place Books, which is a little ways down the road to local independent bookstores. We'll put everything in the show notes so people can have easy access to Instagram, to where to get the book, all that good stuff. Laura, in one sentence, how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Hi, gosh, I am. (laughs) You know what? I am showing up as a cheerleader for my kids, 
my kids, I know that's not one sentence, but I just got to say really quickly, they are amazing right now. Mm. My boys are, I'm getting tears in my eyes because they're so, they're killing it. Um, So I am their biggest cheerleader, their biggest supporter. And I am showing up to other moms in my life who may not be having the best experience with theirs, their children as support. I love that. Thank you, my friend, for all the things. I love you so much. And I can't wait for this conversation to be out in the world. Happy book birthday. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.